I love uh, to celebrate, and we want to help you celebrate this Christmas. We have a lot to celebrate. And the celebration photos that I like the most are when men and women are coming home from war. And uh, they're celebrating. Uh, you see them being reunited with their family. So let, let's look at, we, I ha- we have some pictures of men and women, or well, men coming home from World, World War II. So if, if you could read the newspaper headline, it's, it's VE Day, uh, Germans, German units yield is what the paper says. And then, of course, you got the guy being reunited, the soldier being reunited with his, his family. Uh, so picture, uh, you know, that picture of victory is just sweet, right? We have another picture that I wanted to show you this morning. This is Maria Skelly, our very own, and she's at the doctor ringing the victory bell to signal uh, her defeat, uh, of course, through, through the power of God, of cancer. And yeah, so... I, I just thoroughly enjoy these kind of pictures. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, what... what makes for the best celebrations? What makes for the best celebrations? I think that what makes for the greatest celebrations are when you win a war against a great enemy where there's a lot at stake. To me, those are the greatest celebrations. When you win a war against a great enemy with a lot at stake. You know, in, in the pictures that I showed you, you know, World War II, there was a great enemy, right? Nazi Germany, one of them. lot at stake. Very tough battle that lasted a long time. And that's why those pictures of those soldiers being home and celebrating are so special and so sweet. When you think of Maria's battle with cancer, it was a battle against a great enemy, right? And there was a lot at stake. And so when we see her ringing that bell... Oh, how special, how wonderful, what joy is expressed in these pictures, joy that comes from the end of a difficult battle in which you have won. And so I think in order for us to be truly joyful this Christmas, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter the family issues you got to face this time of year, no matter the financial issues that come up, no matter what health issues you may be experiencing, if you're going to be joyful this Christmas, you really have to understand the victory that the Christmas story tells. It's the only way you can be joyful at Christmas, no matter your circumstances. You see, The story of Christmas is so much more than a story of this sweet little baby born to this young girl in this sweet little town, you know, in a stable with cute animals around. It's so, Christmas is so much more than us getting together and eating great food and exchanging gifts and and having a good time. You see... Christmas, the, the, the true story of Christmas is about victory. It's about overcoming a great enemy. And we need this victorious Christmas story to drive all our activities today and tomorrow. Because if they don't, the food, the getting together with family, the exchanging gifts, in the end, it's really just all meaningless. 
So what is the real Christmas story? What is it? What is the true, real story of Christmas? What is that story that if we know it and believe it can bring joy to our hearts during the Christmas season, but not just during the Christmas season, during every day of the year? Well, let me pray, and then we will ask God to help us, and then we will look at the real Christmas story. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for what we get to celebrate a celebration of, of victory. And so, Lord, we uh, pray that you would help us to understand this victory so that we can fully worship you and have a heart of gratitude for you this Christmas. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the real Christmas story is about a war. And it's about victory over a great enemy. So let me explain the Christmas story to you. It goes something like this, right? So in the beginning, God, he created the world with all its complexity, with all its splendor, with all of its wonder, with all of its beauty. And God, he created man and he created woman in his image to reflect his glory into the world by ruling over the world on his behalf. Creating cities, creating art, creating culture. But Satan, the great enemy of God and the great enemy of man, he convinced the first humans that, you know what, it's better just to go and do life apart from God. It's best to reject God's rule and become the master of your own life. Chart your own course in life. And when the first humans made this decision to reject God, And to do life apart from God, outside of God, there was a curse that fell on the entire world. And it even made its home in the hearts of the first human, right? So sin led to this curse. What were the results of this curse falling on the entire world? Well, there was breakdown at every level. This curse led to death at every level. There was breakdown with the first humans in their relationship with God. There was breakdown between the first humans, between each other. There was breakdown where there was harmony in their relationship. It was replaced with shaming and and, uh, self-centeredness. There was breakdown even inside each of the first humans. There was psychological breakdown where there was peace and joy. In came fear and anxiety and shame and guilt and worry. And even creation was affected by this curse that fell on the entire world. It made work really hard for the first humans, thorns and thistles growing up. The creation itself started to break down and decay. And then the first humans, they would actually even experience physical death. That's what the curse had done. So we see breakdown at all levels. We see it spiritually, psychologically, socially, and physically. So in the beginning, this world that we live in started to unravel, and it's been unraveling ever since, hasn't it? I mean, we see it all around us. We see evil. We see pain. We see suffering. The world is a broken place. There's, I don't think anybody would argue that it's not. 
And the reason why it's so broken is because the curse of death has fallen upon it. Now, here's the thing. We have a tendency to think of evil as outside of us, don't we? We, we have a tendency to think of evil as over there, as in that group of people, that race of people over there, or in that nation over there, or in that political party over there, or in that family member over there. But the Bible makes it clear that, and we can see it if we're being honest with ourselves, but the Bible makes it clear that evil is not just outside of us, it is in us. Evil is inside of us. The curse of evil has not just made its way into every nook and cranny of the world, but it's made its way, it's so pervasive that it's made its way into every nook and cranny of every human heart. You know, like the first humans, we have, we have searched for satisfaction and security and significance apart from God, outside of a relationship with him. Like the first humans, we have rejected God. We've, we've lived in all sorts of ways that have contributed to the evil in the world, right? We all have treated others unfairly. We've all manipulated other people. We've all gossiped. We've all lied. We've all broken promises. We've all said hurtful things out of anger, even to the people we supposedly love the most. And not, do we, and not only do we sin all the time, but check this out. The curse has so f- affected us in our hearts that we justify the behaviors we do that we so adamantly oppose in other people. That's how deeply the curse has affected us. We convince ourselves that our sin was actually right given the circumstances. That we had to pick, you know, the lesser of two evils. It's really not our fault. We just, we just, you know, that was the best option available. And so you, do you know what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world is you and me. That's what's wrong with the world. And that's why we need the story of Christmas. Because the story of Christmas is so spectacular The story of Christmas starts in the beginning, in Genesis 3. Check this out. God, when it all started to unravel the world, when the curse of death fell on everything, God gave a message of hope in Genesis 3. He told Satan that a day was coming when the offspring of the first woman would crush him. God, what he was doing, he was declaring war against Satan. He was declaring war against the curse, war against the evil. You see, God hates how evil has just broken down everything in the world that he created good and loves. He hates seeing the pain and suffering in the world. And so God has decided to do something about it. All right, so let's fast forward to the first Christmas day. First Christmas Day, inside the uterus of this little Nazarene girl named Mary is the child of promise, is the fulfillment of this message of hope that God gave back in Genesis 3 in the very beginning. This is the offspring of the first woman 
who would crush Satan's head and end the curse. Now, here's where, this is unusual. So this is something that's very unusual about Jesus. So you would think, given this message, that he was going to crush you know, evil, destroy evil, you, you would think that as soon as Jesus was grown into, as soon as he had grown into an adult, he would be this conquering king that would just immediately destroy evil and get it off of planet earth and destroy the curse. But he doesn't. What's interesting is he doesn't come as a conquering king, but he comes as a suffering servant. Why? Why would Jesus come as a suffering a servant? Why wouldn't he just come, as soon as he was an adult, just be this conquering king that would just get rid of it, get rid of all the evil? Well, if he was going to, have to, if he was going to destroy evil, guess what? He would have to destroy you. He would have to destroy you. Remember, you're a part of the problem. And if so, if Jesus was going to come and destroy the problem, he would have to destroy you. He would have to destroy me. And that's why Jesus comes as a suffering servant, and he does the unthinkable. This is crazy. Check this out. Jesus, he goes to a cross. What kind of king goes to a cross? And on the cross, every mistake that you've made, that I've made, every lie we've ever, ever told, every selfish action that we've committed, every word of gossip that you've broken, every toy that we've ever fought over, right? Every promise that we've broken, all the ways that we have cheated, all the ways that we have ignored God, all of that was placed on the sinless Son of God. The scriptures tell us that he who knew no sin became sin. And you know what? Sin always attracts the curse, doesn't it? And this time it was no different. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Jesus, when he became our sin, the curse of death fell on him. And the curse was so intense on Jesus when he was on that cross, that even though he was crucified in the middle of the day, it was completely dark for three hours. The curse was on him so intensely that creation just went haywire. The sun wasn't even there to help Jesus. His friends all betrayed him. So we see that those relationships, the curse of broken relationship falling on him. His physical body was being just destroyed. And he experienced spiritual breakdown where he experienced separation from God the Father. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so here, Jesus on the cross, inner turmoil, broken relationship with creation, broken relationships with friends, broken relationship with God, and physical brokenness that eventually led to his physical death, led to death. What was Jesus doing? Jesus, and this is the beauty of the cross, is that he was completely absorbing your sin and the curse that your sin attracts in your place so that the curse could be removed from you, so that sin could be removed from you. And guess what? If our sin is no longer uh, counted against us, then the curse, we no longer attract the curse. 
which means we are free to enjoy a relationship with God. We are free to experience inner healing. We are free to truly love other people. And once Jesus fully absorbed the curse and he fully absorbed our sin, God raised him from the dead. And he he sits right next to God the Father at the position of all power and authority at the right hand of God the Father. And guess what the Bible tells us? He is coming again. But this time, will he come as a suffering servant? No, he's going to come as a conquering king. And he will destroy all evil, destroy Satan, all the pain and suffering from this world. He will bring heaven to earth. And guess what? He will not have to destroy you. And so the question then is, how do we respond to this king of humility? How do we respond to Jesus' humility that he would come, although he was God, he would come onto earth, he would come as a baby, and he would not come as a conquering king, but that he would come as a suffering servant and eventually die the worst death imaginable. How do we respond to this? Jesus says in Mark 1, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to admit to God that the problem of evil is not only out there, but it's in here, right? Repent means to admit to God that you're broken and you can't fix yourself. It means that you don't even measure up to your own moral standards, let alone God's, and you are admitting that. It means Admitting that you have contributed to the suffering and the pain that's in this world. It means admitting that you have sought for satisfaction, security, and significance outside of God. And it means going to God, admitting it, and asking for forgiveness. And then you must believe. Believe that on the cross, Jesus did take your sin and the curse upon himself, and he absorbed it fully in your place to remove that from you. Believe that you no longer have to fear his return, but instead you can look forward to it. Believe that as you draw near to God, God's going to draw near to you and he will teach you how to live for him. You see, if your faith is in Christ, a great victory has been won and you're on the winning team. If your faith isn't in Christ, you're still on the losing team. You're still under the curse. So humble yourself. Respond to Christ's humility with humility yourself. Repent and believe. I'm here to tell you that if Christ is your king, you have so much reason to celebrate this Christmas and every Christmas. And so party hard, eat, drink, be merry, because guess what? The best is yet to come. You know, the war has been won. The mop-up operation is just what we're waiting for. We're just waiting for Jesus to return and to make all things new. And so when we exchange gifts and when we eat good food and when we uh, are with family and friends, we should all be thinking that, man, this is pointing to that great celebration that is to come, right? Exactly. 
And uh, when we open gifts, we should be thinking, you know what, this gift is pretty cool unless you get one of those ugly, you know, sweaters that are actually cool nowadays. So it's actually a good gift. But this gift doesn't compare to, to, to Jesus, right? Jesus is the ultimate gift. And so the war against our great enemy has been won, and we didn't even have to fight it, right? The mop-up operation is soon to come, all because of the first Christmas day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord was born. Amen? Amen. Amen.